Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you meet us in the moments of our lives and that you are here today by your Spirit, through your Son, to meet us yet again and to offer us your word and invite us into the riches of life in you. Lord, I pray for Easter's tide to overwhelm uh, the hard things and broken things and sorrows in our hearts and in our congregation, that you would meet us even in those dark places and remind us again of your goodness, of your kindness of how it is that you generously lavish us with all good things. Lord, teach us today from your word. Make us soft to receive it. Hold us in your hands, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome, Painter to what is now the seventh Sunday of the Eastertide season. This past Thursday marked 40 days since Easter. So it's been 40 days since the resurrection of Jesus. And on the 40th day after the resurrection of Jesus, we know in the initial story, Jesus rose back into the heavens. He ascended back into the heavens. It was 40 days in his resurrected body, appearing to upwards of 500 people, and then an ascension back into the heavens, back into the realm of his father, The ascension of Jesus is probably the most overlooked act of his earthly ministry. We celebrate every other aspect of the ministry of Christ. We remember and celebrate and honor his birth in the seasons of Advent and Christmas. And we remember his life during the season of Epiphany, his death during the season of Lent, his resurrection on Easter Sunday and throughout the season of Eastertide. But ascension... Ascension Day comes with so little fanfare on a Thursday in the middle of our busy weeks that no doubt it passes most of us by. 
without even noticing. That's why we're talking about it today. The church decided some years ago to render the Sunday immediately following Ascension Day the day on which we would focus on the Ascension and be reminded of the Ascension. Because when we miss it, we miss a lot. In the Ascension of Jesus, He guarantees for us connection to all of the riches of His life, death, and resurrection. We love to remember his life. We love to remember his death. We love to feast on the day of his resurrection because we see all of the riches that are contained therein. There is so much in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So much that is shown to us about the potential for humanity, about the fullness of what humanity can be. Jesus lives that full human life before us. And so we wonder at it and we marvel at it. But the question is, is any of that life, are any of those riches that are in the life of Christ for us? Or how are they for us? Is the life, is all that riches that's hidden in Christ, is that all just for us to marvel at? Is it just for us to stand back and wonder at? Maybe to even try to copy in some way? Or is all of the wealth and riches that are in Christ for us to apprehend? Is it for us to take hold of? For us to live in? For us to walk out? For us to be rescued by? That's what's at stake in the ascension of Jesus. That's what the ascension of Jesus is about. In ascending from the earthly realm to the heavenly realm, Jesus, in effect, stretches a ladder between the two realms. Not unlike the ladder of Jacob's dream, that Old Testament saint who dreamed about a ladder stretching between the heavens and the earth, a ladder on which divine beings and divine energy might ascend and descend. In the ascension, Jesus establishes that ladder for eternity. He establishes that conduit on which divine energy and divine presence might descend to us and fill us with the life and riches of the heavenly realm. And likewise, a ladder on which all of our broken humanity might ascend into the presence of God. That's what Jesus does. He takes all of broken humanity onto himself, into himself, and carries it into the heavens before the Father, cleanses it within himself, buries it in his own mind, so that our brokenness might sit in the very presence of God. And then likewise, he sends down to us on Pentecost Sunday, which is a week from today, his spirit that we might be filled with the divine energy and life of God. The ascension is the establishment of that conduit, of that ladder on which this ascending and descending takes place for all time. This is so important Because apart from God, we have no life. When we are disconnected from the heavens, disconnected from the heavenly realm, when the earthly realm is left to her own devices, we have no life whatsoever. The only source of life for us comes from God, comes from the heavenly realm. And so when we're left to ourselves, we cannot live, never mind flourish. 
on our own. We have no hope of doing so. Because apart from God, we have no life. That can be hard to see because apart from God, we have something that appears like life. We have something that approximates life in our disconnection from God. We have movements that we can carry out. We have certain connectivity or connectedness that we can experience with other people. We have experiences of pleasure and pain. And so all of these things add up to what seems like a certain sort of life. But apart from a connection with God, all of that, all of those experiences, all of those movements are bound by entropy. That is to say, they are in a steady decline toward chaos. Death means to steal all that it is that we are doing here and all of the meaning that we ascribe to these movements. Every relationship that you are in, every action that you have taken, whether good or evil, all of the pleasure and pain, all of the meaning, everything that it means to you is heading, marching toward darkness apart from God. All of it means to settle back into the dust from which it came and be rendered lifeless and meaningless there. That is all we have apart from God. Play acting. Not true life. Something that death can take away from us. But we are not apart from God. We are not separated from God. God has come to us by way of Jesus and in the ascension of Jesus there is an eternal connection between God and humanity, between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Our humanity ascends to God in Christ. His divinity descends to us by His Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this text that we read a moment ago, that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He says that we are all interconnected, we're all part of one body by way of this universal connectivity to the Father of all. This universal connectivity to the one who is over all and through all and in all. It is God's filling of his world with his life that connects his world together in a meaningful way. He is the only source of true life. It's the life of God filling all things. The life of God animating our being, animating our movement, animating our relationships. That's what makes all of what it is that we are doing actually alive. That's what renders it impervious to death. And it's His animating energy alone that is not marching toward meaningless 
darkness. It is the life of God in us alone that is marching us toward eternal light. It's in Him that we march toward eternal light. Our being and our movement and our relationships need not suffer the fate of entropy. They need not gradually decline into chaos or be stolen away from us by way of the grave, by way of death, and be forgotten when the dust settles because in the animating energy of God, the dust never settles. That is the nature of his life. Your story, my story, they will not be lost. All that is happening here will always matter because of who God is. Do you believe that? How do you know that? All that I've just said is standard Christian doctrine. We read it in the pages of Scripture. But how do we know it to be true? Think of a person in your life who is abundantly generous. Not necessarily someone who has so many resources that they can give and give without really noticing it. But rather someone who spends themselves, gives away their time and care and energy and money in such a way that causes you to question how they have anything left. Causes you to marvel. How could it be they have anything left. Makes you wonder how they don't run out. That's what a generous person is. A generous person is baffling. A truly generous person makes no sense. The math doesn't add up. You can't solve the equation. Someone who simply has a lot of resources and give it away, that's lovely in its own right, but it's not the kind of generosity that I'm speaking of here. You can make sense of that. True generosity cannot be made sense of. I've known several people like that over the course of my life. I'm sure all of you have known at least one or more people like that over the course of your life. The person who jumps to mind immediately for me, I've shared about her before, is my grandma, Joanne. She's an astonishing woman, now in her 90s. She's the type of person who would go and play piano, still often goes and plays piano at the nursing home in her small little town, a 90-year-old ministering to 70-year-olds. She was the type of person who raised five children and somehow imparted grace to each one of them despite living under the thumb of the tyrant who was my grandfather, who passed away several decades ago now. She was a marvel. She is a marvel of generosity. I remember as a teenager actually wondering how it was that she could live in this way. How it was that she could share so much of her heart and her soul with so many people, all the people of her town and her children and beyond, when she was so regularly depleted and mistreated, deprived of affection, by her husband, by the person who should have supported her 
and been there for her. When I became a Christian in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, around my 20th birthday, actually, I remember for the first time having some access to how it was that my grandma could live in such a way. I remember encountering the source of resource that she lived out of. And I wrote her a letter at that time telling her that I admired her and that I aspired to be the kind of Christian that she is, the kind that could pour herself out until it seemed there was nothing left and then just keep pouring, keep giving more. And I told my grandma, you're the only person that I know who has the courage to be an absolute nobody. Because that's what true generosity will render you. You empty yourself and empty yourself and empty yourself in a way that the math cannot add up and you are left with nothing for yourself, seemingly, in the eyes of the world. And so I marveled at her. My aunt at our next family reunion cornered me and asked me, why are you telling grandma that she's an absolute nobody? (laughs) Which was a fair point. (laughs) It's not the best compliment that I've ever paid. But it was a compliment, or more accurately, a marvel. It was an ode to her. I was in awe, I am in awe, of my grandma. Who's the person for you? Can you see that person in your mind's eye? A person who just never seems to run out of energy, of love, of care, of resource to share. Paul says God is the one who fills all. But, he says in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, what's he saying? He's saying that the conduit between the heavens and the earth is open. That the ladder has been placed that God is filling people, how much? According to the measure of Christ's gift. That is to say, he is filling us with the same life and energy that he filled Christ with. That manifests differently, manifests through different gifts in different people, no doubt, but it's the same energy, it's the same life of Christ. It's in fact, Jesus himself sharing with us all of his life, all of his way of being. He's saying here, live in my life. Spend my energy. Access my accounts. See if you can run them dry. Test and see if you can run them dry. There is endless resource for generosity in Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You see what St. Paul is doing here. He is connecting the gifts that we receive to the ascension of Jesus. Because Jesus ascended, because he has now opened 
this conduit, laid this conduit between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, there are now gifts to be lavished on all of humanity. Jesus can now fill all things with the life of God. All things were always meant to be filled with the life of God. The whole creation was meant to be animated by the life of God. God fashioned our world to contain His presence. He fashioned our world as a temple that He might fill it and make Himself known here, that His life and energy would make everything flourish. We just got the crazy idea in our minds that maybe independence from God would lead us to even better forms of life. Somehow we imagined that if we could break free from the directives of God, if we could break free from God, if we could rely on our own devices, lean into our own wisdom, if we could just express ourselves, our internal desires, apart from any connection to God, express them on our own, that then we would have an even richer, fuller kind of life. We could not have been more wrong. Life is in our Maker alone. He is the only source. Our attempts to find a richer, better version of life have failed, and they have failed miserably. But you have likely noticed this over the course of your life. If you can think about that person of baffling generosity, that the more life a person has in them, the more they are connected to that conduit with the heavens. The more a person receives their life from God, the more they submit their life to the ways of God, the more connected they are to the person of Christ, the longer that they live into His way of being, the more and more resource there is to share with others, to serve their neighbor, to give themselves away, the more generous they begin to become. Paul says Christ ascended that he might fill all things, that he might fill us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, Christ ascended so that we might never run out of life. He ascended so that our life would never be stamped out, so that the meaningful nature of this animated dust would always be retained, that the dust would never indeed settle. He ascended that we might live all the way up into the full maturity of His way of being that we might become fully alive in our human way. That is to say, fully 
human, fully capable of facing all of the moments of the stories of our lives. People who don't shrink back, people who don't hide, people who don't cover their face when hard or brutal things take place, when glorious and righteous and beautiful things take place, but people who can dive headlong into the fullness of the story in the full confidence that their life cannot be stamped out and that all the riches and meaning that they will discover therein will be retained, will be upheld, that it's worth it to go through everything that we are going through because God will hold it all in his hands. This is what Christ accomplished for us in his ascension. He ascended so that we might have the fullness of being, so that we might receive from the heavens the fullness of love. Throughout this Easter tide season, We've been looking, as you know, if you've been here, at the art of receiving. How it is that we receive all that it is that God is giving us. All of the life of Christ that has been lived out before us and is now being offered to us. How do we take hold of that? How do we apprehend that? There is an art to receiving all that it is that Christ is giving. And the word for us this morning... The art that I'm speaking of this morning is generosity. What if we, what, what, just imagine, what if we began to spend ourselves with a kind of reckless abandon that defined the life of Christ? What if we began to move toward one another with love and care and energy, with such abandon that we would have no choice but to draw on that conduit from the heavens? What if we began to spend ourselves in a way that we would have to look back and trust that Jesus was filling our accounts, that the heavens were filling our accounts? What if we just tried to outspend the life and energy of God? What if we poured ourselves into that great work, began to pour ourselves out for the needs of one another? Do you suppose that there are enough gifts in Christ among us that were we to live that way with one another, every need in this body could be met? Every emotional need, every spiritual need, every physical need, every relational need that no one would need fall through the cracks. That there would be ample resource for us to care for one another, so much so even that it would begin to overflow. Do you suppose that we, humble little we, could become the kind of church that could be a resource even beyond our walls? That we could be a light of the life of God, a place that people knew and expected would overflow in life and blessing for others, for the people that we interact with, for our neighbors, for our city, for people who don't know God, for people who don't know that there is life in God? You suppose that if we stepped into this kind of generosity that God would meet us and fill us and overwhelm us and overflow through us? Some of you know I was at a memorial service yesterday uh, to remember a pastor friend of mine. Uh, There were many hundreds of people actually there to honor this man. 
Kevin Galloway. And one of the speakers, another friend of mine, shared a story uh, that Kevin had told about when his dad used to fly him around the living room, play a sort of game of airplane. This was at a time when Kevin was much smaller than his (laughs) highest weight. Um, And that by the time they were done with that game, Kevin invariably would smell like his father's old spice. And the speaker said that those of us who knew Kevin knew a man who smelled like his father because he had lived in the presence of the heavens. When he interacted with the rest of us, it was as though heaven's energy and life was being brought into our earthly story. There was an encounter with a person who knew what he had, who knew what was being deposited into his soul. And he would ask us questions about whether we too were people who lived in that place, receiving those riches from not our natural father, but the God and Father of us all. That smell that was on Kevin, it's the same smell that was on my grandma. It's generosity. It's this confidence of knowing that you cannot outspend God that you can pour yourself out in love and care and that he will meet you and fill your reserves, that he will fill the tank behind you such that as you turn around to refresh in him, there will be ample nourishment there again. It's the endless resource of love that pours from the heavens. A love that covers sin and meets needs of every kind a love that can form a community and bind us together in care for one another. The Dutch priest Henri Nouwen writes, when we face death with hope, we can live life with generosity. When we know that our lives are not a race against death, We don't have to race to try and squeeze out as many experiences for ourselves as we can before they're all rendered moot and meaningless by the entropy of death. When we know that this life is in fact a life upon life that's streaming to us from the heavens, that there is no end to the life that God is giving. When we know that all of our death and all of our sin is streaming upward into the heavens, being buried in the wounds of Christ, being buried in the mind of Christ, such that even that cannot steal from us, that he's made a way out even of that for us, then we can pour ourselves out. Then we can truly live. Do you know how many needs there are in this city? It is absolutely overwhelming to even consider the needs of this city apart from recognizing the endless stream of resource and love that is available to us. In fact, we protect ourselves from noticing the needs of the city because we have forgotten who we are, because we have forgotten what access we have, because we have forgotten that heaven flows through the people of God, the endless resource of love flows through us. 
We need not solve the riddle of how all the needs in this city can be met. But as we begin to access that conduit of love that flows from the heavens, as the needs of our community are met relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the overflow from this church can care for people that we don't yet even know. This is the life that Christ is always inviting us into. This is the life that He lived. And not even death can stamp it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the life that he lived and the fullness of it. We thank you that there is a demonstration in him of a life of faith, a life spent connected to you, filled by you, and a life poured out in love from you. Lord, we ask for that same connection, that same life, that same energy to animate us. Would you fill our church with the life and energy that is from you alone? I pray that you would make our church a place that doesn't make sense anymore, a place that baffles even us, a place that baffles our neighbors, that we would marvel at the good and the gifts that you give here in the same way that we have marveled at those precious individual saints that you have brought into our life in times past. Lord, make their energy our energy for the sake of your name. Amen.